0: Well, good morning, Restoration Church. Please forgive me for my raspy voice, but uh, this is 100% better than what it was about a week and a half ago. In fact, a week ago, Friday, I had to come home from school because I couldn't talk much to the joy of some of my students. And uh, then I promptly gave it to my wife, and she couldn't talk for two days. Guys, that's not an answer to prayer. It wasn't. I forgot about ugly sweater Sunday today, and I was rummaging around in my clothes, trying to find something like that for the occasion. And my wife, Jan, says, uh, what are you looking for? And I said, well, I want to come to church this morning looking really ugly. I need a sweater. And she said, trust me, you don't need a sweater. No, no, she didn't that. She didn't do that. But she can't talk, so I took care of that. <laughs> she can't speak the truth. <clears throat> now... Uh, The Holy Spirit is at work in this, because it's not my voice, it's His, right? It speaks to our hearts. So, I'm just the raspy messenger boy. And today we're going to be taking a look at the book of Nehemiah. Again, we've been going through that systematically. We're going to tackle two chapters, not one, chapters 11 and 12. And I'm going to summarize these verses. I'm not going to go verse by verse through all two chapters. And in a sense, neither does Nehemiah. He summarizes too, and we'll find that out in just a few minutes. But uh, if you don't have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to to have one this morning. we would like to give you one? Uh, If you would like to uh, have a Bible in your hand as the Lord speaks to your heart, we we would like to make that happen. And so we've got an usher uh, who would uh, love to bring you a Bible. So if you'd like to have one to, to work through this morning, just raise your hand and we'll make sure that you get one. And if it's the only Bible you have, then consider that our gift. Take it home with you. If you have about 10 or 12, like some people do, uh, when you're done with it, you can just put it out in the foyer, and uh, we'll call it good. Now, Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12. Uh, There's a theme here, and Kevin wants us, Pastor Kevin wants us to get here. And it has to do with the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. it's done. The, the gates are up. The people are now practicing Torah. The temple is fully functioning and uh, they're ready to go. And uh, so we need to dedicate the wall to God. And that's what dedication is all about. It's taking someone or something and saying, God, this is yours, it belongs to you. It, it always was, but now we recognize that officially for ourselves. Yes, this is a wall that's not just like any other wall. This is the wall God built. It belongs to you. We, we give it to you. We consecrate it before you. We separate it from all other walls. This is, belongs to you. You use a God for however you choose for your glory and your honor. That's what dedication is all about. So, here we go. Let's go to the key verse. Uh, in the midst of these chapters, Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 27. Verse 27. Uh, Pastor Kevin wants us to get, make sure we get there, so let's start with that. Chapter 12, verse 27. I'll read it it's on the uh, screen, and I hope it's also in your hands. So here we go. And at the decorate, a dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness. The Thanksgiving was singing with cymbals, harps, and lyres. You see, Dedication is a celebration. If you're going to dedicate something to God, invite people to come and be a part of this. These people were... It's as though they were sending out invitations. You are cordially invited to the dedicated of the wall of Jerusalem. Bring all your musical instruments and let the celebration begin. In fact, the word, the English word for dedication in this verse is the Hebrew word Hanukkah. And the Hebrew people, as soon as you say Hanukkah, they light up. That means joy to them. In fact, it's an eight-day joyous celebration rededicating the temple, uh, the original temple under Ezra. It's Hanukkah. It's filled with joy. But guys, this, this is not just about the joy of dedicating a wall to God. It's more than that. God is is not just in the business of building misty walls and gates. God God can rebuild broken walls, but He's more concerned about rebuilding broken lives and bringing that life, those lives, into dedication with Him. Into a consecrated living before Him. And so, really, these two chapters, and all of these chapters are about the joy of living A dedicated life. See, who in the world would dedicate a wall if they don't know that themselves? You wouldn't do that. you are a stranger to living a dedicated life, it'd be very difficult to dedicate something to God if you're not. So these people knew something about the joy of living a dedicated life. And so what we're going to do, we're going to go through these chapters and we're going to look for the identifiers, the marks, the characteristics of a person who is so inclined to live this way. I think there's going to be at least six features of that. I want you to, to note these, write them down, and, and consider, is, are, are we describing my life?
1: Is this about me? Could I say, wow, that sounds like me. If not, why not? Why can't it
0: be like you? So, l- let's begin now uh, in earnest. We looked at the key verse. We're actually going to come back and read it again and uh, marry it up with at least one other verse. So here we go. Uh, Nehemiah 11, verses 1 and 2. Nehemiah 11, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to be looking for these identifiers, these these marks, these characteristics, of a person who has discovered the joy of living a dedicated life. And we are certainly willing to dedicate a wall to God because they've dedicated their lives to Him already. So here you we go. We'll read this. Nehemiah 11, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring, out of, bring out, to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now, let me give you a, just a crash course on history. Here we go. Over here. 586 B.C. After a two-year siege, Nebuchadnezzar's armies reached the wall at Jerusalem. And uh, they ran after uh, King Zedekiah, who tried to get through uh, the back way, and they overtook him, brought him back, killed his kids, all the rulers in the city, took out his eyes, chained him, and uh, took him captive to Babylon. We never hear from him again. The remaining people, they took uh, the large portion captive out of the city, And deported them uh, and took them to what I call Tampol. It's the Kibar River in Babylon. And uh, that's where Ezekiel the prophet was who ministered to the large group, the captive audience there. Uh, And then Daniel is in the capital city in Babylon. He was already deported before this. So he's already in the capital city. And a small remnant of the people Jews were left behind in the capital city itself. And Jeremiah was ministering to, to them. So you got Jeremiah in the city, you got Daniel in the capital, you've got Ezekiel in the uh, encampment. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar had no idea just how rebellious these Jews are. These people are just rebellious to the core. And as soon as he pulls out of town, he's let the governor and then a small detachment of troops, the, rebel, the remnant, rebelled, killed the governor and the soldiers and anybody who was uh, aligned with them. Kidnapped Jeremiah, left the city and fled, and went to Egypt, where it all began to begin four hundred years ago, and more before that. So, for seventy years—oh, I got to go back over here. For seventy years, the whole city was deserted; it was a ghost town. And then, after Babylon, the first of four Gentile kingdoms as prophesied by Daniel, as it fell, the Persian Empire took over. In Cyrus, the king says, okay, all all, the ops are free. All you Jews who want to go home, you can go. And about 500,000 Jews were living, were deported. They stayed. And about 50,000 of those diehard Jewish nationalists who wanted to return home and make Jerusalem great again came back, and after about 22 years of starting and stopping and stopping and starting, about 516 B.C., under the leadership of Ezra and the high priest, the Zerubbabel, they finally built a temple. The heart came back to Jerusalem it was beating, but the walls weren't there. And so even the exiles, when they came back, they didn't live in the city. It was too dangerous, unsafe. So they lived in the country, in the fields, and in the villages. They, they contributed to the building of the temple, but they weren't going to live there. But now, another 70 years passed, 444 B.C., Nehemiah shows up and says, okay, y'all, come together. We're going to build this thing. We're going to get the wall done. 52 days, and it was completed. And they're about ready to dedicate it, but they, they still don't have people in the city. We've got to repopulate the city. And so they do it in three ways. And you read about it in those two verses. First, they expand their leadership base. The leaders were living in Jerusalem. And they expanded on that. But that's not enough people for a big city like this. And so they had a lottery. Now, we're familiar with the, the, the 12th man, but they were familiar with the 10th man. Every 10th man is going to have to leave their home in the village, and you've got to move into the city. You're going to have to do it. We need people here. And so they started building the city through the leadership and the lottery, but something amazing happened in the midst of that. And it's in verse 2, and I'll read it again. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So in addition to the lottery, there were people, men who said, I'm going to go. I raise my hand. I volunteer. I'm going to leave my home. I'm going to pack up. And I'm going to move to the city. I'm going to make that my permanent dwelling because I sense that's where God is, where God is at work. He's calling me to be right here. And so this brings us to the very first identifying mark of a person who experiences the joy of living a dedicated life. It's a person
1: who is willing to place God's purposes above his own plan. See, that's the first mark. The person who says, I want to live a dedicated life. But how do you get there? It's when you say,
0: I have decided I'm placing God, His will over my life. And it's not me, what I want to do. I gladly do what God wants for me. You know, a few years ago, this church had a, I think originally it was called a Father-Son Fishing Day. But it turned out to be a family fishing day. Over at Norm Panel's Troutlet Trout Pond. And uh, I, being a recovering fishaholic, found a way to go. Even though I didn't have my kids at the time. And I said, you know, I'll go, I'll clean fish for you. And I went over there with a couple of guys and lots of kids. And they were fishing in the pond. And they were throwing their lines out there. And uh, they caught fish hand over fist. And I was working, cleaning, gutting those fish uh, right until they stopped. It was a great day. And I was thinking in my mind, what a great opportunity for my grandkids. Wouldn't it be great to get them over here and fish and have this experience too? And so with Tom Hale... uh, we got in touch with the ministry at Westside that kind of sponsored this, and we set up a day for our grandkids to come. It was just Tom Hale, his grandson, and my six grandkids, and we were going to fish that pond. And I was pumping them up. I said, oh, man, you wouldn't believe the fish you're going to catch. Said, this big, right. It's just fantastic. And uh, my son, Jeremy, made a trip over from Seattle with his four kids, and then my daughter brought her two kids over, and we lined them up. It was a great opportunity. Tom and his grandson, and we're fishing away. And fortunately, no one buried hooks into body parts, and very few lines got tangled. But the problem was, no one got a bite. First 15 minutes passed, not a single bite. I think, oh, that's not like what it was when we were here before. And then a half hour went by, no fish. An hour went by, nothing and Norm Pannell, who lived uh, over there, got in his truck, drove across the field to talk to us. And my wife, Jan, and I, we have known Norm forever, for more than 30 years. Even before he moved there, and we moved to Yakima, when we are down in Granger. And he's talking to us. And in the conversation, he says this. Oh, by the way, the otters in the river came into the pond, and they ate all the fish.
1: Beautiful. He goes, yeah, there's no fish in the pond. I go, well, that would have been nice to know in advance.
0: I mean, the kids came all the way from Seattle to, you know, to throw a line and That's kind of fun, but, you know, hey, people looking for fish. What does this have to do with a dedicated life? Well, I'll tell you this. you can fish all day long in the shallow pools of your human emotion, you'll never find joy. You'll
1: never find joy. The joy resides in the deeper reservoir of God's will. When you cast your life into His purpose, you'll catch a big one. It will last forever. That's where joy resides. It's not in you. It's in Him. When you enter into that relationship, you will find joy. <laughs> All right, now,
0: Verse three this is where I'm going to really summarize, and I, Nehemiah does this too, in uh, Nehemiah 11 verses three all the way through chapter 12 verse 26 are lists of names. Back to back, there are three lists running throughout chapter, the rest of chapter 11, and into verse 26 of chapter 12. What do you do with these lists? Why are they? I mean, one list after another after another. You just get into the flow of the history, and then he stops. Okay, I've got to talk about people. And he gives another list of people. He goes a little bit farther. Well, I us talk about people again. And he lists more names. And he goes on and on and on. And it gets even more profound if you lump Ezra and Nehemiah together. You put them together, and those lists become even more pronounced. And I understand that uh, the Hebrew Bible had both Ezra and Nehemiah as one book. It wasn't split until later, in about the 3rd century A.D. They looked at it as one book. If you look at it as one book, look at all those lists. Ezra chapter 2. Ezra is uh, summarizing the thousands of exiles who returned home. He just gives a summary. But there's 50,000 people involved in that list. Now, he can't name every single one of them, or you'd have a book that would go on and on and on forever. But they got those books. Those are the public registers. They kept meticulous notes of all these people, who they were, where they came from. And then, chapter 8, um, Ezra goes through a genealogical uh, history. Uh, probably, these are the people that came with him, because he didn't go with the first wave. Ezra came with the second wave. I think he remembers them. And now, Christmas is coming, and our kids are thinking of uh, two lists, either the naughty or the ninth nice list. They hope they're on the nice list. Well, in Ezra chapter 10, that's the naughty list. This is a list of men who intermarried when they came back from Babylon. Oh, no, no. That's a bad thing to do because their covenant relationship with God at that time in the history of Israel included a peculiar people who needed to maintain that identity and not be absorbed or assimilated into the surrounding population base. And that's exactly what they do. They came back, and they were tempted, and they decided to marry themselves off to any other women outside of the house of Israel. And uh, Ezra named them. You're on the list. But one good silver lining was they decided to put these wives away and get back to their identity for a while. And then uh, uh, it would come to Nehemiah, and chapter 3, Nehemiah lists all the families that were rebuilding the walls together. And then in chapter 7, uh, because it's the new generation, uh, he repeats again the, the list of exiles. Another 50,000 that Ezra talks about. He says, Hey, let me tell you about your original forefathers who came here and who were so courageous to uh, take this step. I, don't forget them. Here they are. And uh, verse uh, chapter 10 as Jacob Heed uh, talked about the people who signed that covenant relationship with God, about 84 people. And I understand you were invited to come forward, and you signed on the dialed line, too. Great, great illustration of that. And now we come to chapter 11 and 12, and you got three lists. The first list is about the people who were living in Jerusalem. He names them. But there's more. These are all summary lists. There's about 3,000. He lists some of the heads. And then people living outside of Jerusalem. And then he recites the the Levites and the priests who were uh, working with the temple. Now, what does these lists of people tell you about? It tells you that the people who experience the joy of living a dedicated life find their fulfillment in people rather than tasks. That's the second
1: characteristic. A person who is dedicated to God will be focused on people and not task. I'm reminded of that in my own life.
0: We have a missions class, and we go out every day to just serve people. Yeah, we rake leaves, we mow lawns, we uh, shovel snow, we haul stuff to the dump, to the landfill. We do all this stuff. We go tutor at uh, children at Madison House, and we work at Northwest Harvest to store food for the food banks. Uh, we do a lot of things. Go to nursing homes, but I remember one time we were going to the Union Gospel Mission to help. Uh, prepare the food for dinner. We got there a little bit late. I was in a hurry. I was kind of pushing these kids through. <clears throat> and to get to the kitchen, we had to go through the, the, day, the, day, uh, the day room where all the men were hanging out. And then you go through the courtyard and then the kitchen. We got the task completed. We went back through again through the day room and the courtyard. I got my car to leave, and something was wrong. What was missing? Yeah, we got the task done. I was thinking, I hope you did a good job. We got there late. Well, we, we picked up, and the kids did a great job. And then I realized, that day room was filled with men. I didn't speak to anybody. I didn't look at anybody. I didn't shake hands with anyone. I didn't even say hi. I didn't acknowledge them. It's as if they didn't exist. I was there for the task. And we were dedicated. We there for the people. What a reminder to me. And I made a point. I'm never going to do that again,
1: ever. It's about people, not that. And I'm not going to read those names because I'm a teacher, not a butcher.
0: Pastor Kevin did. He 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 did wimp out like I'm doing. He went through those names one chapter. It was great. Now you know there's a reason why those names are unfamiliar to you. That's because they're not Jim or Bill or Fred. Uh, they they have Jewish Hebrew names, but there's another reason why they're not familiar to you. And, and I remember what what the reason would be. In the '70s, my wife and I lived in uh, the San Fernando Valley, just outside of Hollywood. And, uh, and that shows our age here. In 1978, we decided to go to Grauman's Chinese Theater in the heart of Hollywood to see Star Wars, the original Star Wars when it first came out. Wasn't the first week the gala premiere? Was uh, showing. It was the second week. So We went to uh, the theater. Place was packed. <laughs> we're watching the movie, and we were excited. First Star Wars ever. Uh, and, uh, at the end of the movie, they were showing the credits. I just showed you how familiar
1: I am with this movie. I only knew three people. And we'll test this. Who played Han Solo? Harrison Ford.
0: God rest her soul. Who played Princess Leia? Jerry Fisher, who played Mark Hamill. (laughs) Who who played Mark Hamill? Luke Skywalker did. And I don't know anybody from there at that point on. It's just lost. You know what was so interesting about that? People sitting next to me. And I remember where I was. I'm in Hollywood watching this movie. I'm in the heart of the industry. And the people next to me were commenting on the people in the credits. They were saying things like, oh, I didn't know Bill was still doing the lighting. There's Fred. He's still editing. I worked on a job with him, just the other, uh, another movie. they were going on and on and on. I realized the reason why I don't know these names is because I'm on the outside. I'm not a part of the industry. You see, if you gave this list of names to these people in Nehemiah's day, they'd all go, oh, I know him. He was building a wall right next to my family. Oh, and there's, there's has the, the Isle. He was the one who was at the Dung Gate. And he was doing his job down there. No, no. He was working down there. I've got to make that clear. And I don't know what that was. But see, these people know one another not because they're familiar with Hebrew names, but because they're working with the business. They're in the industry of building the things that matter to God. And you see, we don't want you to be a stranger to the things of God. See, if you're here for the first time, you might feel like you're a stranger and you don't know people that well. And that's natural. But if you get yourself involved into the industry, into the building of the church, you get to know people. Yes, you that's know, so important. They knew one another. They knew their names, their parents, their children, the roles they played, the naughty enough nice list. They knew it all. You know, when we meet as elders, Pastor Kevin has uh, an agenda, and there are the business items that he has to cover. But what's so cool, and and it's made an impact on my life, is he has a a segment called Simply People. we spend our time, we talk about people. We're not talking behind your back. We're trying to find a way to to be with you, to get your back, to be a part of you, to encourage you, to, to help you in any way. We've got a people list, too. But we never forget, it's not about
1: tasks, it's
0: about people. Now let's move on very quickly. Uh, Verse 27. Back here to uh, this passage that our key verse is. And it says in verse 27 of chapter 12, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And let's just go on and we'll grab a verse from verse 43 uh, at the heart of the dedication service itself. And it says in verse 43, And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. You see, a third trait, which is so important, is that
1: People find greatest joy in serving God and His people. That's what joy is. And let's define this. It's on the screen for you. I'll read this. This comes from Steve Davis.
0: And he says, It's from a psychological perspective. One cannot experience joy while being preoccupied with one's own security, pleasure, or self-interest. Freedom from inhibition comes when one is caught up in something great enough to give meaning and purpose to all of life, to every relationship. God alone is the only adequate center for human existence. And He alone can enable us to experience life with joyous spontaneity and to relate to others with love. You see, when God becomes the center of your life, you discover
1: that ultimate sense of fulfillment. You reach it. You see, we don't just exist. You can't have existence without essence.
0: You have to have meaning and purpose, or we just kind of unwind. What's this all about? Is there a bigger story to all of this than just you filling up your time twenty-four hours a day with stuff? Isn't there something out there that gives us a sense of destiny and purpose that that brings you the deepest pleasure in life and it lasts forever, and it's in Him knowing your Creator, and He created you to exist for Him and with Him and through Him. That's where joy is. That you find that, that God's center of your very reason for being, I exist for Him, with Him, and through Him. I find joy in that meaning and purpose. People live out all their days they're filled up their schedules, everything under the sun, and they
1: have no joy. Because the person in their lives is someone like them. Family, a friend, a relative, an associate. But there's nothing transcendent there. It's all temporal and passing until you reach that moment. You discover God Himself,
0: the source, the center, the reason for your very existence. And when you
1: find it, you find fulfillment at ultimacy. And none of these stuff can give you the Now, go to verse thirty for another faith. to chapter twelve, verse thirty.
0: And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. And I'm going to tweak a little part, portion of that, verse 43, we just read. And they offer great sacrifices that day. You see, the, the the people who experience joy of living a dedicated life know who God is. God is holy. And people who have this sense of joy have made it a point to be made clean before a holy God. And everybody then, back then, that time, they knew it. You want to march around the temple, I mean the wall, and you want to dedicate it to God, you got to clean up your act. And how do you do that? Well, there's this thing called progressive revelation, and progressively God is revealing His plan of salvation. How to clean cleanse someone from sin? And so they had ceremonial ritual cleansing where the priests took the hyssop, dipped it into the water, and they sprinkled it on themselves, on everybody else, on the walls and the gates, to make it clean, purified before a holy God. Now, does water really clean you from sin? No, it doesn't. But this is how God is progressively leading the people to come to an understanding of what He is planning to do. So this, this ritual cleansing with water was accompanied by sacrifices. They offered up great sacrifices that day. Cleansing and sacrifice for the means at that time for the people to clear their conscience of their sin before the Holy God. It didn't effectively do that. It didn't actually do that. But they were being faithful to that light of revelation that they received at that time from God. And God attributed their faithful obedience to the cross. Now we come to the cross. Now the substance of what God was preparing them for for centuries all the sacrifices, all the ceremonial cleansing led up to the real McCoy. First John chapter 1, verse 7. It's not on the screen. You'll look for it in vain. But if we walk in light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses
1: us from um, water. Um, water can't do it, but Christ's blood can. There it is. All leading to the real thing. The, cross. the blood of Jesus, His Son,
0: cleanses us, not from some, not from part, not from the, the, the not-so-nasty sins, but from all sins. And that blood represents the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross for our sin. You see, people who want to live dedicated life make themselves clean for a holy God.
1: Are you clean? Are you? How did you do that? wash your hands this morning. Wash your feet. Say a little prayer. and you knock in the door, that's not how you get clean, not today. Coming to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, part and parcel of joy be being forgiven forever. That's how you get clean? if you want to live a dedicated life, you're
0: going to have to clean it up. It's not you doing it. God knows how to purify you from sin. Now you move from here to the next step, which is the actual procession, the dedication procession itself. You know, it's kind of like the, the dance of joy. If I can be cheesy just for a minute. If you are harboring unconfessed sin in your life, that dance is going to be awkward at best. Why? Because guilty hearts have got
1: no rhythm. I just had to be cheesy. See, if you have a guilty heart, you can't enter into the rhythm of joy. You'll just be out of step.
0: And you'll know it. You'll know it. You, you'll feel, you know, I'm not in sync here with, with the movement, the flow of God's Spirit in my life. This thing is, this, I just I always keep slipping on my toes. It's because an unconfessed life a life that's harboring sin can't experience that joy.
1: Why? Because God's holy. And that joy is coming from you. He wants you to experience it. Seeing so you need to come to that.
0: Now let's go to the procession itself. Verses 31, 38, and 40 in chapter 12. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up into the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. And then dropping down to verse 38, the other choir of those who gave thanks went north, to the north. And I followed them, with half the other people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. And verse 40, so both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half the officials with me. And so what a DMI did is, okay, we're going to organize this. We're going to line everybody up, we're going to have a big parade, big celebration, bring all your musical instruments, And uh, we're going to have this group. You go to the south. Leaders on the wall. You lead us. The singers, the priests, the Levites. Everyone find their place. Everybody line up on that wall. And you move south. everybody else. You go to the north. And you follow the leader. And you move around. And then you come here to the house of God. And we are going to have a big blowout. The big bash of the day. We're going to have a huge
1: celebration. We're going to come together. To rejoice in God. And that's
0: another characteristic of people who find joy in living a dedicated life is that they're willing to humbly unite together
1: for a greater purpose. For the greatest good. People who humbly unite together. This wasn't Woodstock.
0: It didn't end in a chaotic mosh pit. This is where people found their place. There were leaders, there were followers, there were singers, there were musicians, the priests, the Levites, the leaders. Everybody found their place. And no one argued. No one grumbled. There was no competition. I want to leave. No, I want to do the South. No, I want to do the North. I want that instrument. No, I want that place of prominence. You no, know, they didn't. They found niche. They found a place. Everybody has a place in the in the building project of God. You know, it's only your pride that stands in the way when you want to be on top. I want to be on the wall. I want the trumpet. I want to be the one who takes everybody in. I'm the guy. Well, there's going to be a guy. There's going to be someone. But what if it's not you? you Are going to get mad and go home? But this is where people humbly unite together and they come as one before God for the greatest good. That's what this church is seeking to be all about. There are roles to play in this body. There are people who lead, people who follow, people who serve, people who teach, people who greet.
1: Oh, it's the whole thing. And we're not fighting with one another for preeminence. We found a place. That's what people do. They seek to live a godly, dedicated life. That's you know, for me. I just want to be in the parade. I don't care where it is. Oh, Sounds far away to in And then it goes on. Verse forty four. And that day, men were
0: appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather unto them and the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. You see, the Levites in the minute, and the priests, they had to live in the city. They were attending to the temple. They couldn't grow their crops. They couldn't take care of their needs. They needed people out in the fields and the villages to help take care of them. You see, people who experienced the joy of living a dedicated life uh, rejoiced over taking care of the needs of others. They rejoiced over the priesthood of the Levites. They brought in the tithes. They brought in the, the, the crops and, the, and all the supplies so that these people could thrive and, and carry on the task that God has called them to do.
1: We have two men that we have called to serve us full-time. Pastor Kevin and
0: Jacob Heath. We didn't ask them to get a part-time job. No, we didn't say, you also have to make tents if you want to also serve us. No, we're asking you, you just serve us exclusively?
1: Are we taking care of them? We're making sure that they can thrive that they serve the here. Yeah. I hope that's the case. We're trying to be reasonable.
0: as the elders we met who worked over that budget. We're, we're trying to be faithful stewards. But you know, sometimes care goes more than finances. You've got to take care of the people who are serving us. Their, in a sense, those are the, the people who God has called to be a part of our lives and to help us. That extends beyond that. Are be we taking care of each other?
1: And are we doing it grudgingly? Or are we doing it with joy? Not to you isn't it? Let me decide. So when you write that check this morning, is that out of obligation or are you the church giver? Do you know what it's going for? It's not going to a person, it's going to God that you might And you put all these together, kind of a glimpse of people who. I've found joy in living a
0: dedicated life. Have you been able to write something down? I didn't summarize it with those six of these. Now, you need to look at it. Where are you at? Is this about you? Does this pretty well describe you? There are some parts of this that are kind of missing in your life. And so, we're going to close with some decision-making. You see, joy takes you through your emotions.
1: It does. We're not robots. But it takes you into the decision-making of living an intentional life before God. It takes you to the point where you're trying to say, I will. I raise my hand. I will. See, that's where joy takes us all, to make this decision to live for God.
0: So I'm going to ask you to consider a few things. That list of characteristics, take a look
1: at that. And just between you and God decide where are you in relationship to Him? And secondly, most importantly, you made a decision to put your trust in Jesus Christ to cleanse you from all sin.
0: So I guarantee you water isn't going to cut it today. Not today. Now that we have the fullest revelation, it's the blood of Jesus, the Son, cleanses Son of from all sin. You made that decision, that choice in your life? Finally, I'm going to ask
1: you join our church. That's pretty bold, isn't it? You know why? Let me tell you why. Uh,
0: we don't have a building to offer you. This isn't ours. We're leasing it. Our name isn't on the marquee, the marquee. We're still living out of our luggage.
1: We set up. We tear down. So we don't offer you a building. But we offer you people. We are for your people. Not for people. People like me get kind of nasty and say wrong things and do wrong things. But bottom line is, we're a people. We love God. We love the outcome. And if you're looking for a family that's like that, I've got news for you.
0: Here we are. If we move someday to a, another building where we can have more multiple ministries, so be it. The church isn't about the building. It's not about a temple. It's not about a wall. It's about If our hearts are in the wrong place, God is going to do a mighty work. If you're a member of another church you're just visiting here with family offense, please don't leave that church. We're not interested in taking one fish out of a fishbowl and put them in another fish fishbowl. If you don't have a church home, yeah, I'm going to be brazen. Yeah, right up front. Why don't you decide to be part of this family? He
1: loves us. We want to love you. We want to support you and pray for you. Got that? Not to pray. though. Let's do it.